You're listening to the Salesforce Marketing Cloud podcast for the UK financial services community. Our aim is to let you know what's happening, when it's happening, and how you can get involved. We'll keep it short and in downloadable form so you can listen wherever you are. Hit subscribe to get notifications of new episodes, news, and announcements. I'm Miles. And I'm Joe, And we work for Salesforce in the UK. And if you couldn't already guess, all views expressed here are our very own. That's right. Don't base any purchasing decisions based on what we say. Just sit back, enjoy and learn. So what are we talking about this week, Joe? Well, today we're going to get into what the key levers are that a marketing function can pull to influence a bank's income and what, if any, are the trade-offs that they have to consider. And to help us explore this, we're lucky to have our very own David Liversidge, Director of Global Growth for our financial services sector with us. Brilliant. Looking forward to this one. Um, David, great to have you here. Uh, you've got a long and impressive career, so why don't you start by introducing yourself? Thank you very much and good to be with you. So I started my career working for a company that focused on bank branch automation and redesign. So helping banks uh, around the world to turn bank branches into more customer friendly environments, what we used to call dialogue banking. I moved from there into uh, retail banking, had a brief stint at one of the UK banks before moving to uh, Google in the early stages of Google's growth. Uh, I spent about eight years at Google um, at the time when Google was very much seen as this incredibly measurable and scalable uh, new channel for customer acquisition and uh, moved from focused on financial services to uh, trying to solve the question of how you measure the move from online into offline channels to prove that sending traffic to a website can drive incremental sales and engagement with customers. I then moved back into banking and spent eight years uh, again at one of the UK retail banks and did a number of things, including leading the performance marketing function and most recently spent four years implementing Salesforce CRM which latterly we had rolled out to about 15,000 colleagues at the front line and integrated into our marketing technology stack. And about four months ago, I moved to Salesforce uh, to focus on growth markets, working with banks and insurers around the world as they transform their operations using Salesforce's cloud technology. So a mixture of a bit of banking knowledge uh, and a bit of technology and marketing knowledge as well. Brilliant, it's great to have you here. You're a newer recruit than I, David. What was the key thing that attracted you to wanting to come to Salesforce? There were three things. Firstly, the culture of the organization. And mm-hmm. I'd been lucky enough to go to Dreamforce in 2017 and also attended and spoken at World Tour uh, and really just fell in love with the culture of the company. Secondly, having used the technology in a large retail bank, and seeing the impact that it can have, uh, I was really committed to joining a company which I think has got some world-class technology. And thirdly, the opportunity to learn. Uh, I do trailhead um, and I've always encouraged my team to do trailhead badges to expand their knowledge and understanding of the platform and thought that it was an opportunity to take myself out of my comfort zone and really continue to learn and develop in my career. That's fantastic. You know, it's interesting that you put Ohana first. That was something that I didn't really know anything about and I was pretty blown away by that. So it is a company that really does walk the talk in terms of doing good. Um, And yeah, I'm partial to the odd trailhead myself, having done a few. Um, 
I like to multitask as much as possible. Um, everyone has very busy lives, so I sit on my Watt bike and do the odd trailhead, but don't tell anyone. But that's enough about me. Let's get into the main reason that we're here. It would be really great if you could give me a bit of an overview of these levers that we're going to be talking about because our um, audience is primarily made up of marketeers and I know that they're going to be really interested, given the experience you've got, to understand where you would be putting focus to make a difference. Yeah, it's a good question. And I think that the marketeer of today faces some, some really interesting challenges because of the the increased knowledge and self-awareness of consumers, the challenges from new entrants. And I think when I was leading a, a targeting and performance marketing team, there were clearly the mandates of driving as much return on investment as possible and proving the incrementality of what we were doing. So could we clearly evidence through things like test versus control cells, that what we were driving was not just income and profit rich, but also were acquisitions that we would not have otherwise made. But I think there's also an increasing need, given that many financial services products have a relatively long path to purchase, to ensure that you're, that you're essentially in the game and keeping those customers engaged throughout their life cycle so that when the opportunity opens and you have that 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 window which presents itself to to intercept the customer along their path to purchase and to put a really compelling offer in place that you're essentially in their consideration set so all of the old dictates about driving awareness and consideration are there but i think that needs to to have almost the backbeat of engagement messaging to ensure that you've got the opportunity to intercept the customer at the right time based on the data signals you're picking up is absolutely critical while also being able to prove that it's a good return for your human investment of effort, but also money that you're spending with third parties. It's interesting. So, so from a head of marketing's perspective or a CMO's perspective, what would you say are the competing pressures on their budgets or their funding to achieve those different objectives? Well, I think there are three different categories of, of of consideration the first is around resources uh, and you know it's about the people in your campaign teams it's the people who prepare the data and it's often very easy to underestimate how much effort goes into regulatory and mandatory communications the sort of communications to customers which are non-negotiable uh, have to go out on time have to be in the right format and get maximum cut through. So I think there is always a juggle in any organization because resource is not, it is not infinite, it's very much finite, about you know, how you most profitably and, uh, and beneficially use the resource which is fungible because a large part of your resource essentially is dedicated to those things over which you have little control and little little right to exercise whether you do them or not. I think secondly, there's then pressures on capital. Because if I think about the journey to implement marketing technology, advertising technology, service technology, inevitably, there is an investment of capital which is required in order to build things and deploy them. And most banks at the moment are facing into some fairly challenging headwinds. We've experienced 10 years of, of historically low interest rates 
Uh, and now we're facing into the anticipated economic downturn driven by a number of different factors. And all of that means that banks are having to be particularly careful about how they allocate their capital. Um, and the competing pressures on capital are against uh, facing into those headwinds, doing everything they can to transform and optimize the servicing experience that customers get. And I think any CMO ultimately is gonna have to make the case against those sort of transformational servicing and operational programs, as well as the prudent financial position that any bank is gonna take facing into the economic downturn. And then the third area of, uh, of pressure, I think is on operating expenses. And if I think about MarTech and AdTech, um, inevitably there is there is a pressure on ongoing OPEX costs because of licensing. And it's all about the business case. Very few financial institutions are completely greenfield sites. Most of them will have some form of marketing automation and, and the costs of running that may either be hidden um, or be relatively low uh, because it's legacy technology. So there is a clear decision to make. Uh, and and it's, I think it's a little bit like getting onto a treadmill at a gym. You sign up for the gym and it's a treadmill that you're on because you need to keep investing and keep paying for those sorts of technology to generate the benefits. So I, I think, you know, the CMOs face quite a lot of pressure um, in those three areas. And, and it's, a, it's a real challenge and, and a, you know, the internal competition for funding and the internal competition for resources is quite significant in the current climate. Yeah, I think you've raised an excellent point and it's something that we've discussed to some extent on an earlier episode. But if someone were to argue, you know, banks don't really need to market to their customers because they already know everything they need to know, what would you say to them? How would you or, or why do you think banks need to market to their customers? I think the need to remain relevant, and there are many organisations that have been there, including my former employer for many hundreds of years, are doing an excellent job, but it's a job that needs to keep being done. And I think those competitive challenges, which I've outlined, um, new entrants, challenges, a range of options. I mean, who would have thought that we would be doing as much, um, you know, through alternative payment mechanisms now as we are? I think all of that means that it's a job that needs to keep being done. Um, and it's an important job. You could argue that, you know, depending on your mix of net interest income versus non net interest income, that the in-year performance that the marketeer can influence is relatively small, because certainly if I think about banking, the proportion of in-year income driven by the stock of customers acquired three, five, seven years ago dwarfs the in-year income. But you can't take your eye off the ball because the impact is felt one, two, three years down the track and is then very difficult to reverse. So I think there is absolutely a need to remain relevant. There is a need to, to have the opportunity to talk to customers when they're in market and to intercept them. And woe betide any organization that thinks that it can rest on its laurels and not invest in marketing and the associated technologies because the impact downstream is often significant. Yeah, I, I, I think that's really interesting because it, it's commonly read that in a downturn, marketing budgets are often some of the first to be squeezed or, or certainly questioned. Uh, and that concept that a longer term view beyond the in-year 
growth opportunity uh, is needed. And uh, you marry that with the tenure of, of many CEOs, uh, often being shorter than five or six years. So uh, I think it, I think it's interesting in some things strategically that people need to think about marketing before they, they reduce their budgets. I I would ask the question though, um, what do you think is the difference between the way challenger banks versus more traditional banks are approaching marketing today, and why do you think that is? It's an interesting question because I think my start point would be slightly different. And I think that from my experience, there are loads and loads of very talented people working in functions like marketing, data, in the traditional banks, as there are at the challenger banks. But without wanting to overly generalize, I think the challenge is that organizations which have older stacks of technology are are, are often quite acute. They have this richness of data primarily first-party data insights, which is this accumulated knowledge over many years, and in some cases, decades, about their customers' lives. But the challenges are around things like data latency. Um, The challenges are around data leakage and the loss as you move data through systems. So I think that if we're talking about data-driven marketing and, and contact strategies, which are driven off data and signals, I think the aspiration is there and the talent base is very similar, but the challenges are around moving that data around and getting access to it in a timely fashion without experiencing significant loss of data. So I think the aspirations are very similar, but the challenges faced are different. You know, I had some ideas on where you might go with that, but actually you've enlightened me there. So yeah, that's a whole new way for me to think about things. Um, I also, thinking back to what you were saying before about, you know, new payment types and everything, I mean, it's it's interesting to me because I do a lot of Apple Pay with my watch and there are still a few retailers that are always surprised when I blip with my watch. So, um, and also good to know that I don't have any upper limit on my Apple Pay. Um, equally, scary to know that I have no upper limit on my Apple Pay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm at risk of taking us off piste again. So David, here's a question. Looking back to when you worked at Google and other companies where you've been vendor side and client side, what are the considerations that you've made in respect to building your technology roadmaps? It's a really interesting question and I'll be you know, absolutely candid that I'm not a, a technologist, but having been a, a business side product owner, for me, there are, there are three primary considerations. The first is about fit for the organization Um, and without getting into the whys and wherefores of best of breed versus best of need i think both approaches can work Um, but any organization that goes into a a program which integrates lots of different components from lots of different vendors just needs to do it very much with their eyes open in terms of both the cost and complexity of doing that And I don't think there's a right or wrong answer. Many organizations go down best of breed. Other organizations take a single stack. But I think speed to value and understanding, you know, the cost and and technical complexity of that integration is critical. I think, secondly, the ongoing cost of ownership is critical as well. And that feeds into your 
overall cumulative ROI, but clearly understanding what the parameters are in terms of how scalable your technology is as you're building that roadmap and what your ongoing operating expenses will be um, is absolutely critical, whether that's through internal charges or whether it's money out the door to a vendor. But having a handle on that and being able to project forward so there aren't surprises is critical. And then thirdly, and, and you could argue most importantly, is understanding what you want your campaign manager of the future to be doing. Because I think the technology per se is interesting, but where I've always come from is that actually it's the fundamental shift in operating model that it facilitates, which is arguably much more interesting than the technology. The technology is just an enabler to being able to do things in a different way. And thinking about the upskilling, the retraining, all the soft skills that are required in order to get the most out of the technology as you plan for the roles you want your people to be doing tomorrow rather than the roles they were doing today and yesterday is absolutely critical when you make your technology choices. That's really interesting because in my mind I'm thinking about the technology that's being used by banks today. It's not where retail is, for example. And I wonder, with the experience you've had working with big financial institutions, whether you have got any anything that can explain why retail banking doesn't seem to be embracing new channels. You know, there's a lot of email, there is some SMS, maybe they've got apps and there's a bit of push taking place. But I'm not seeing the adoption of new channels like WhatsApp and, you know, TikTok or whatever the case may be to engage the newer banking audiences. And the metaverse, whilst I've seen a really good Nike advert, I haven't seen anything around banking for that either. And I'm not sure when that might even happen. (laughs) Mm, Great question. Perhaps to give a different perspective on it. I think there are some really exciting opportunities out there with new channels and new media. And I think a lot of financial institutions that I see are starting to experiment in those channels. But I think the reality is that the banks, and I don't think for a moment it's driven by complacency, but a lot of banks sit on an awful lot more data than retailers do about their customers. And if I think about most retail banking organizations that have got you know, a solid footing in online banking, whether that's browser-based or app-based, they will see their customers every single day. And that constant touch point and the amount of data that's flowing from payments and transactions, quite apart from the data which a bank, by its very definition, holds about you and about me, I think puts them in a different position. Now, as I say, I don't think that in any way is is a reticence um, about adopting new channels, albeit in some of those channels, there is a requirement to move from uh, from being unauthenticated to authenticated, which can pose challenges mm-hmm. when a conversation gets to the sort of nitty gritty. Yeah. But I don't think, as I said, it's driven by complacency or a, a, a desire to consciously ignore those new channels to communicate and talk to customers. I think it's just that banks occupy a, a quite different space to retailers and that you know drives the fact that they use owned channels a lot more than they will you know paid or earned channels so we're all aware of the regulatory controls being tightened up with gdpr pecca and the recent moves around cookies through google 
perhaps you could tell us how banks are pivoting within this environment. Yeah, so it's a really interesting topic. And I think, first and foremost, it's important to stress that protecting consumers' rights and honouring privacy is absolutely critical. But I think that if I put myself back in my shoes a few months or years ago, I don't think that banks necessarily want to rely solely on first-party data and the signals which they have. And and I'm really interested to see the way that CDPs evolve and in a way that is entirely admissible and which we could stand up in front of a consumer and explain, and a regulator, how we've derived their data in terms of lineage. I'm very interested as to how the use of off-domain signals, what we used to call third-party data, will continue to develop. So I don't have a clean answer as to what the magic bullet is there, but I think those off-domain signals will continue to be absolutely critical because you will never have a full view of your consumer purely based on what you see in your own channels. But I think also it's important that organizations have the right architecture within their app or their online banking environments, or indeed both, in order to surface offers which may be from partner organizations rather than themselves. Those sort of complementary services which are driven by customer need that is observed. Um, and as I say, that could be from data signals which are from outside of the organization. So I think we're at an inflection point. Uh, organizations have had to invest a huge amount of effort and money to be GDPR and PECA compliance. And I think with the new swathe of technology coming in with CDP, and with the opportunities that presents, I think we're now going to see some interesting developments over the next one to two years about how the, the digital marketing uh, model of the future evolves. David, that's brilliant. And I know that you're hinting at a, a prediction and I know that nobody's got a crystal ball. And I know that we've already talked a lot about, you know, the current economic climate. And I don't want to err on the side of negativity with everything. And, you know, as a breed, marketers are, are an upbeat bunch, um, very positive. How do you think um, banks are going to evolve and focus their marketing objectives over the coming years, maybe the next three to five years? If you did have a crystal ball, what would you predict? Well, I'll leave it as one prediction, which is no reason to rest on laurels, but banks are and continue to be intensely relevant to consumers. And I think if the last two to three years have shown us anything, it is that banks continue to perform a really valuable service to consumers and an important one, um, whether that's in helping them to manage their day-to-day -day finances. And I think that for many people will become even more critical over the next 12 to 18 months. Or heaven forbid, if there are moments that they come into a situation where they're in a moment of, of need. Um, but I, I'm confident that banks will remain intensely relevant. And consequently, I think that marketeers have a real role to play in that. Um, whether it's continuing to position the way that the bank delivers services, the purpose of the organization, the role in society, and evidently intercepting consumers when they have a financial need and presenting something relevant 
and timely to them in a personalized way. So I think the role of the bank is there to stay. And I think the role of the marketeer within the bank is also there to stay. Hugely reassuring to hear you say that, David. Thank you. <laughs> yep. Brilliant, brilliant. Really, really good content. Um, thoroughly enjoyed that. But it's been an absolute pleasure having you um, record a podcast session with us today. Thank you so much for making the time and uh, really enlightening. Thanks so much. Thank you very much. Thank you, David. Pleasure having you on.